This is the Scoop Duck Podcast. Scoop Duck Podcast. Scoop Duck Podcast. Every game. You are going to go back to throw the ball. Sets up, look, throws toward the corner of the end zone. It is intercepted. Intercepted. And it's in the ball. Every story. If we just continue to push and grind and go and take care of our guys, it's going to be built to last. The Scoop Duck Podcast. Scoop Duck owner, Justin Hopkins. And Matt Bagley from 96.1, 580, The Game. Welcome back for another edition of Scoop Duck and High Five. My name is Matt Bagley, and I'm joined over the interwebs by Justin Hopkins from Scoop Duck. You hear all those funny noises in the background. Um, I want to paint a picture for you listening at home. Justin, where are you right now, and what are you doing? Oh, I'm uh, I'm in my car driving, recording the podcast, which... <laughs> should make for fun, but I, I don't want people to get upset. I'm, I'm on my Bluetooth, so that's maybe why it sounds a little bit different. But yeah, I'm in the car, and I just got done with an appointment. But, uh, you know, Matt uh, Matt and I are always talking, and I know you folks love the podcast, so we're, uh, we're making sure that we get one out for you this week. Uh, Mid-October of 2021, I know you have a lot of great kids and, and kids in school and, and people living great lives in your family. Uh, what, what's your life like right now? Oh, it's, it's nuts. It's absolutely nuts. I mean, both my boys are in soccer. Uh, you know, one's in high school, so traveling to Eugene and, you know, other places to play, uh, you know, two or three games a week. And then my other son's on, it's on a, like a premier traveling team. So like he goes, he went to Bend last weekend. He goes to Salem this weekend. He goes to Portland in two weekends and, you know, usually I take him not to every single one, but usually not to mention he's doing cross country and football as well. And and then I got my daughter. She's got karate and other stuff. So, I mean, that's yeah, it's uh, this time of year is crazy for me, just usually with all the my kids sports. And then, of course, you know, trying to watch some college football and a little NFL. Yeah. Hey, you mentioned soccer. I know that's something you have a passion for. And so do I. Um, I've always been fascinated by that club soccer world how hard is all that travel for you and your family it's really tough um you know it's a it i mean not only have the soccer fees themselves increased and i don't mean just here i mean everywhere right you know there it's it's gotten pretty crazy the cost to, to be on one of those you know what they call it like a premier team or the competitive team or whatever you want to call it and then uh, yeah when you're going to portland you know, obviously for us in Southern Oregon, we're the only premier team down here in our age group. So we're always going to Salem and Bend and Portland and all these in Eugene and other areas to play our games. And so, yeah, when it's every other weekend and you're trying to, you know, and I'm trying to juggle it around, you know, a duck game, usually a lot of Saturday games, obviously not this week, but, you know, a lot of Saturday games, making sure I'm somewhere I could watch the game and and, you know, and, and interact with the, the people on the, me- our, you know, our subscribers on the message boards and and then still get my kids to <laughs> where they, luckily, the oldest is 16 and can drive. So when we get pulled out of town and he's, you know, he's back at home, he can still get himself where he needs to be. So at least there's that now. Yeah. Hey, uh, one more off topic thing, but this one kind of leans into the topic at hand, duck football. Since Oregon's playing yeah. on a Friday, what are you going to do on Friday? How do you how do you divvy up all that uh, priorities? Well, um, yeah, that, you know, that's an interesting question. Oh, I would have to say 
that, you know, Jared has done such a tremendous job kind of covering the football beat with the help of Joel Gunderson and Jacob, you know, Archer pitching in there. But I've really, and I think, I think there might be some confusion or people don't understand, you know, I've tried to really kind of step away from, from doing football only because I want Jared to build his brand and his audience and people to, right. you know, kind of understand instead of J-Hop doing football and recruiting, which I can do, you know, now I can just kind of focus on recruiting and making sure I'm getting articles and, and the juice and, and making sure, you know, Jonathan's getting articles up or, or Steven or, or Reed, any, you know, and so I, I still, you know, make my predictions and I still write, you know, weekly columns and I still do all that. But as far as the day to day goes, that's really handled by largely by Jared and with the help of Joel. Um, and they do a tremendous job. I don't think I could ask for two better guys to do it. And uh, so this Friday, actually, the funny question to that, or the funny answer is I'm actually, ironically enough, playing in a golf tournament on Friday that I totally forgot about that is put on by the Timbers, that is who my son plays for, the, the premier club soccer team down here. Right. So that's what I'll be doing for the better part of the day and thank goodness the football games at 7 30 at night so i've got all my bases covered the only thing that can get a little sticky there is i gotta make sure i don't get too drunk on the golf course so i can stay awake for a late game oh i know that feeling man <laughs> um <laughs> i i know that feeling hey uh so so friday duck game i hate them Work, working in uh broadcasting because i got to cover high school football and i feel like high school right. ball takes a second fiddle to the ducks when they play or, or when the Beavs play or, or really any big program in the Pac-12 plays on Friday. Uh, how do you feel right. about the game getting scheduled on a Friday night? Yeah, I mean, I guess I, I understand it a little bit. You know, some of these conferences wanting to get, you know, more, I don't want to call it a prime time because it's not really a prime time, but when you're the only game on, more people, you know, will tune in from outside your conference than would normally. But I'm with you. I'm kind of a you know, I'm kind of a traditionalist, and for me, you know, JV football, and we're talking about high school, JV football always played on Thursdays, varsity played on Fridays, and then you got to college, and they played on Saturdays, and then when you make it to the pros, you played on Sundays, and then obviously they incorporated Mondays. But that's that's how I've always viewed how football should be. Now, you know, now like you said, you're throwing out a, a, a college game, and you know, I, I think it makes it hard because let me parlay this into recruiting. You know, it makes it hard because a lot of those high schools are playing football games on Friday nights. So if you're the if you're the home team when it comes to the college football, you're going to have a tougher time posting, you know, any recruits for one of your prime home games. So I can't say that I love it, but uh, you know, I guess there's a lot of other things that I dislike in college football right now more uh, than Friday night games. Yeah. Hey, you mentioned the calendar. I, I, I think about how the NFL is on Monday, Thursday, and Sunday, and and then you know yeah. you throw in the Saturday games like around Christmas time. When the NFL is on Thursday night, I always watch the NFL, and and maybe sometimes I'll watch a baseball game, but I can't remember the last time um, I, I watched a college football game on a Thursday or Friday night. Yeah, for me, for me, for both of them, for the Thursday night. NFL game because I don't really have an NFL. I'm not. I don't really have an NFL team, so I'm like, oh, I, if you know, if the Cowboys are on, I'm going to make sure I watch them. I don't have a team, right? But you know, for me, Thursday nights are kind of like a night that I get together with my friends and we go have a couple beers or whatever. 
usually we go someplace where the game is on in the background but it's not like we're getting together to go watch Thursday night football it's just kind of on and you know we'll occasionally glance up at the score and be like oh hey look who's winning or big play right um, and same thing with the Friday night games exact same thing with Friday night fo- college football if I'm at a bar or something with my buddies and it's on the TV you know I'm peeking up and it's got my interest but I don't go out of my way to make sure I watch it unless obviously it's it's the ducks on Friday night of course yeah, yeah. Okay, uh, enough of the chit-chat. Let's talk about that Friday night game. Um, h- how do you feel about Oregon? Because I-, I feel there's still a lot of unanswered questions surrounding this team. I-, I think that I think that what you just said exactly sums up my feelings, Matt. And I know you and I don't always agree, but we do on, on certain things. And I think it's just the fact of the matter. Oregon's got a lot of un- unanswered questions right now. And, and I think that this is, you know, really a big chance for them to answer them or, or, or for us to kind of just maybe take a look and say, all right, maybe that is what Oregon is. Maybe they're an average offensive team, you know, that's going to need to run the ball a little bit more than throw the ball. Um, you know, maybe they're a team that, you know, gives up a lot of yards in between the twenties, but buckles down in the end zone. Um, you know, I think Oregon needs to get back to, for all intents and purposes, I rarely, rarely ever call an in-conference game kind of a tune-up game. But if you look at Cal, they're really not very good. And Oregon's coming off a bye and a loss. This really feels like it should be a tune-up game for Oregon. And that's not really fair to say because more than likely it'll end up being closer than it should because it's a conference game. But, you know, I think, you know, this Oregon offense, Anthony Brown, if he's the starter – uh, you know, which everybody's watching and, and just really wondering, you know, we're going to have a lot of questions about that, this offense throwing the football. And and quite frankly, this is a game where they just need to answer them. And, and from there, if Oregon has another less than stellar performance, maybe we all just need to walk away and kind of reassess, you know, our evaluations of Oregon football this year. Yeah, you hit the nail on the head. On paper, this should be a tune-up game, or some may call it a get-back game, a rebound game. I just, when you don't know the status of Joe Moorhead, you don't know who's going to be quarterback one, and you don't know the, I, 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 I would say focus, like that's the first word that comes to mind that I reach for, but just like the ceiling of this Oregon team the mindset they're going to have, how they're going to come out, and, and how they're going to attack this side, especially offensively, where they've really played down to the level of competition. It should be a get-back or a tune-up game, but I I can't predict that, you know? Not after the last two weeks. Yeah, I think the hard part is is the fact that, you know, at one point Oregon was 4-0, you went to Columbus and beat what is a good Ohio State team. And you know what? Maybe Ohio State didn't play as well as they're playing now, but part of that was Oregon. They played a really good football game. It wasn't a fluke win, Uh but if you look at the rest of the body of work for Oregon, it's kind of a fluke win in regards to the rest of the season. They just really haven't played at that level in any other game. And so – you know, you start to wonder if, you know, if that was just, you know, uh, you know, everybody got up for it and, and the Ducks, you know, caught uh, lightning in a bottle a little bit and were able to beat Ohio State. It was a good game. They played a good game. Anthony Brown played a good game. 
you know, all those things went right. But since then, like you said, to start your statement, Oregon has since played down to the level of its competition. And if you think about it, that is something that somewhat plagued Mario Cristobal in his career at Oregon. I don't know if it'll continue or not, but that, that again, is another question that we have with Cal. And, you know, will it get answered Friday night or not? Yeah, yeah. I, I lurked the boards this morning, and I noticed uh, one, one of the top threads as of uh, this morning, so, so Tuesday, probably 9 or 10 a.m. when I checked it, you have a bunch of posters on Scoop Duck right now asking the question, will Mario Cristobal ever win a national championship at Oregon? And, and do you believe in Mario Cristobal? And, and I know that that question doesn't really put you on the spot because I know what your answer is going to be. You're going to say yes. But just the fact that you have fans asking that question, I, I think is really telling because I, I don't think that question has been asked by more than a couple of crazy people (laughs) at any other point in the crystal ball era yeah and i think that circles back to i get it i'm not saying that those people are crazy because they're not the people that came out and said after the loss that we needed you know that oregon needed to fire mario crystal and hire somebody else are obviously ludicrous i think that's a ludicrous statement right but the folks that do ask that question you know will mario crystal ever win a national championship i think it's a fair question i think that you know you you look at the offense and and you know for me i I guess there's this i look at you look at alabama and what they've been able to accomplish nick saban had kind of built and put together a monster a little bit, but really it didn't become what it is now until they evolved the offense, until Steve Sarkeesian showed up, until you know some of his other coordinators came in and said, hey, look, you just need to open things up a little bit, and they did. And they've been wildly successful since they've done that. I'm not sure that Alabama would have won, I don't know what, three or four out of the last five national championships had they not done that, whatever, whatever they've won. And I think that the hard part is Mario Cristobal you know, left Alabama really at a time where they just kind of started to tr- transition that. So you wonder if he, you know, has continued to model the old Alabama with the, yeah, we're going to run first offense and, and, pound, and you know, ground a pound and, and out physical opponents. And, I, and, and you do have to have a certain level of that. I mean, the SEC is built on that. But as the years have gone on, you've seen LSU the year they won, they had to, you know, they really opened up the offense. You know, Alabama has been, you know, sustained at the top level because they've opened up the offense. And I'm not saying that Mario Cristobal is or isn't doing that, but you do look at the body of work and you do start to scratch your head a little bit and think, all right, are, you know, is it ever going to be like that? What, I mean, is it, it, you know, it's not quarterback related. You've got, you've changed, you know, offensive coordinators. Uh, and I, I think the only way you answer that question is the next two years with the, with the way Oregon has recruited with the way they've out-recruited everyone else in the Pac-12, I think that you have so much skill at darn near every position, at depth at darn near every position on this roster. I I still maintain that Oregon is relatively young overall, and it's too deep, maybe not as the first 11 guys that start, but you know Oregon rotates through a lot of guys. But overall, the, 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 you know, the, the starting 22 or the 22 that play the most, Oregon's still young, and then they've recruited two top five classes behind it. They should be good enough to compete for a national championship in the next two years. If they don't, and I know that two years is a long projection, that's not really fair to say, but if they don't after this next year, 
and I don't mean the year that we're currently in, I mean next year. If they don't after this next year and the year after that, you definitely have to wonder. You definitely really have to wonder and 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 kind of believe that maybe the answer is no to that question. Yeah, I, I like the Alabama comparison you brought up because one, one of my, my favorite moments of just witnessing college football over the past decade was that Bama-Georgia national title game. Um, you know, obviously there's the, the game-winning throw and, and catch in overtime, but on the sideline before Alabama calls that play, the, the Tua throws down the uh, left sideline and Alabama wins a national title on a game-winning touchdown. The camera pans to Nick Saban, and he says, without reading lips, bleep it, let's just run four verts. And, and I love that moment because four verts, if you don't know, is the staple of the air raid offense. Four vertical routes, and then you usually have a tailback. Uh, you know, either either come to the flat or or uh, cross over the hash marks down the middle. Either way, that guy's a check down, and you got four people going deep vertical straight down the field. Screw it, just run four verts was what Nick Saban said. Then Alabama runs the play, Tua executes the play, his receiver makes the catch. And Alabama walks off with a national title. And, and it speaks to your point that if they don't open up their offense at, at that time in the mid to late 2010s, they don't win as many championships as they've won. They aren't as dominant as they've been. Alabama can recruit an incredible level of talent, but they weren't getting the most out of that talent schematically until they opened up their offense. And, and I think that's the direction Oregon should take. You recruit at a level that is superior to the entire Pac-12 conference. Nobody doubts that, right? Washington can't match Oregon. USC just fired their coach because they know they can't match Oregon. Oregon is the you know, bona fide superpower in the Pac-12. But their scheme... And, and I love what Joe Moorhead does. I think he's creative, uh, but their scheme just isn't aggressive enough. No. And I, I think that's the thing that, I mean, let's look at, I mean, maybe bad example, maybe not. Look at Ole Miss, Arkansas this past weekend. I think, what was it, 52 to 51 or whatever the score was. And, I mean, they were in the 50s or the high 40s. I don't, fun as hell game. I had a great time watching it, but. Long, I shouldn't say long gone because it's only been a few years, but long gone are the days of the, you know, Alabama LSU 9-6 yawn fest that was all field goals that, you know, everybody all touted the SC, mighty SEC looking up. And it was boring as offense. That's what right. it was. Right. They don't do that anymore. The, the teams that are getting into the, you know, into the conference playoff and the and the national championship, or excuse me, the, the, the playoffs and the championships, they're running offense. They're running offense. They have physicality on defense. Sure, they're still running the football. They still usually have a physical style back back there. They're doing some of those things, but it's all integrated with opening up. The, the SEC is no longer just boring offense. I mean, it's pretty wide open. You know, Arkansas and Ole Miss was an example there, but, I mean, Alabama, once again, is, is scoring, you know, 30 to 40 points pretty consistently week in and week out, if not more. Georgia, same thing. So, you know, Florida, we know they've always been somewhat offense, offensive-minded. Um, you know, it, it's not that way anymore. And I, and I think that the, hard, the hardest part is, is you take a school 
like Oregon that was so offensive centric with Mike Bellotti, with Chip Kelly, mm -hmm. you know, and all that, you know, scoring 60 points. And you've gone completely. And so that's a really hard pill to swallow simply because how far apart those two ideals are. I mean, they can't be any farther apart than they are. And, you know, right now, I think Oregon and Mario Cristobal has to really look at everybody is targeting Oregon's wide receiver commits right now. They're because they're obviously they're uber talented. They're great. You know, there's nobody in this world that wouldn't want T-Mac on their football team. And most teams would love to have Satagna on their teams. You know, both couple wide receiver commits for Oregon. That's a hundred percent. The pitch right now against Oregon is look at the offense. Look at the, look at the passing numbers, look at the wide receiver numbers. And that's what Oregon has to combat. So Mario Cristobal really has a difficult decision to make because Maybe he's able to hold on to, you know, the receiver commits in this class. Maybe, maybe not. But moving forward, it's going to get continuously harder to recruit those guys when you, quite frankly, aren't throwing the football. How does that, that negative recruiting pitch compare to some of the other barbs that have been tossed at this program in years past? It's a, you know what? In my opinion, it's a fair like if I was going against Oregon, if I was USC or if I was UCLA or whatever, it would 100% be my pitch. And I'm not saying that Oregon runs out and negatively recruits against other schools, but they're definitely going to pinpoint, hey, you know, you're an offensive lineman. Why would you go to USC? Just look at what's going on there. It's a fair criticism of USC. It's it's no different. You know, I mean, if you're honestly, if you're a defensive back and right now I know Dante Williams is at USC, but that cornerback and safety groups playing really undisciplined football, you know, you're going to pinpoint that a little bit. You're going to at least mention it in passing, you know, and, and other schools are going to mention it too. So, I mean, I think all is fair as far as that goes in, in recruiting. And I know Oregon fans don't want to hear it, but right now it's the reality. And, and uh, again, Mario Cristobal has a philosophical choice to make, and it may be not just in the Cal game. Maybe it doesn't all come out this week. But moving forward with Oregon football, I think you've got to. I think you've got to decide: Are you going to stick with this somewhat, you know, uh, conservative identity, or are you going to ad adapt and open things up? Because I, I've said this before; you've said it before. College football is an adapt or die sport. Mm. I mean, all the way across the board: at offense, on defense, on special teams, coaching, recruiting. It's an adapt or die sport and right now i think that's kind of where mario cristobal is at with the offense oh yeah i mean I, I i how many times have we talked about a coach stepping away because they just can't cut it anymore I, it's it's totally adapt or die well and i think that was the key with chip kelly and you know recruiting at oregon and i i think to a degree ultimately that was a big part of what chris peterson went through at washington you know recruiting got so out of hand and it is don't get me wrong i think recruiting's out of hand but it's the game you got to play and once again you either needed to adapt or die you either need to start doing the edits you know start doing all the things that you know might think make you think this is ridiculous i'm recruiting a 16 17 year old kid i can't believe we've got to go to these lengths but guess what the rest of the rest of your competition's going to so you either need to adapt or die and i think that was you know a big criticism i i had of chip kelly and his stubbornness in recruiting, and I think ultimately it's something that really was a big part of Chris Peterson deciding to step away. Yeah, that that's who immediately stood out to me when you, you said that was Chris Peterson because I remember we just, just hammered that point across. Um, Ducks playing Cal on a Friday night. I, I think we both agree 
on paper, this should be a bounce back, get back kind of game, but we'll just have to wait and see on, on whether that is the case. Um, how do you feel about Oregon now in the Pac-12, now that, that uh, Oregon State lost, and uh, I think the Ducks got some more help in the North as well? Well, I mean, at the end of the day, Oregon should have been able to beat anybody in the Pac-12 conference. I mean, regardless of, you know, what's happened the last two weeks or, you know, regardless of any of that, Oregon should have been able to beat anyone in the Pac-12. Right now, it certainly looks like, you know, I don't want to say ASU is the team to beat because they're not, but that certainly looks like Oregon's biggest competition at the moment. They look like a pretty balanced team offensively. They've got a good quarterback. They're playing decent defense. Um, it's a pretty well-rounded team. Washington, I think, is getting a little bit better. I don't want to say way better, but they're getting a little bit better, and they're going to play Oregon tough. I don't care where the two programs are at. They're going to play Oregon tough, and I think it's pretty unfair to write off Oregon State yet. I think that's a, you know, I would say the same thing with that team that I would that I was saying with Oregon. You know, I think that at some point, you know, I know they were winning and, and, and looking pretty good, but at some point they were starting to play with house money. That wasn't going to be a team that was going to go 12-0. and 0. I mean, nobody nobody predicted that. Nobody expected that. So you start playing with that house money a little bit, and you end up dropping a game you probably shouldn't have. It's happened to Oregon. It's happened to Oregon State. It's going to happen to others. So there's no walkthrough. But, again, there's absolutely no reason Oregon shouldn't be favored in every game moving forward in the Pac-12. And they should, they should on paper, be able to win out. But, uh, I mean, again, if they keep playing to the level of their competition, it's just – they're beating themselves. I think that's the most frustrating part. You know, sometimes I get out there and I'm playing pickleball or I'm playing soccer with the kids. And you start making a couple of mistakes or you just lose focus and you start beating yourself and you just get agitated because like this other team's not even that good. They're not even beating me. I'm just beating myself. And I think Oregon does a lot of that. They just mental breakdowns on defense, linebackers out of position, you know, a couple of false, false starts on the offensive line, a missed throw, a missed catch. Uh, you know, a run that C.J. Verdell or Travis Dye would like to have back. They they bounce inside, should have bounced outside. All that stuff really just adds up to beating yourself. And, you know, if Oregon can play consistent football, it doesn't even have to be at a high level. Just play consistent, good football, execute what you need to do in offense and defense, and you should walk through the rest of the conference. But, again, they're just kind of being their own worst enemy right now. And I don't know if it's youth. I don't know if it's a you know lack of focus. I don't know if it's just who knows what it is. But that seems to be what's plaguing this team, and they need to fix it. Yeah. Period. Hundred percent. Okay. Uh, every week during football season, we share five games that aren't the duck game. We think you should watch. You want to do five games? Let's do it. Okay. All right, so five games every week. I pick five. Justin picks five. The catch is Oregon's not among those five. So hopefully out of the games we talk about, you get a couple that you want to watch on top of the Oregon game. And I think it's especially a, a, a fun segment this week because the Ducks play on Friday, which means if you time your weekend right, you know, maybe get that honeydew list done a little bit early or Maybe you work out a deal with the significant other and you can do those honey-dos a little bit later. 
you get Saturday to yourself to sit down on the couch and watch some good college football. So I'm going to start with one of my five games, and then we'll just bounce back and forth and see uh, whether or not we got the same and what we got different. Um, I have this one on the list not so much for any playoff context for Oregon, but I have this on my, on the list because I want to see if this team can keep winning. If they go unbeaten, the committee has quite the argument to debate. That's number three, Cincinnati, and they're pushed to the playoff. They host UCF 9 a.m. Saturday morning on ABC. Didn't have that one. It's a good call. Um, you know, I looked at that one, too. They uh, Obviously, you would think that they should have no problem in that football game. Um, but, you know, maybe maybe UCF's able to make it interesting. Uh, you know, they've been able to do that in the past. Uh, I agree with you. I guess if we're, if we're talking Oregon playoff hopes, you know, still big picture stuff, you know, you're kind of paying attention there until those hopes are completely dashed. So, yeah, I get that game. Uh, I went for my morning game. I went Oklahoma State and Texas just because they were both ranked. I thought Texas looked really good against Oklahoma. That was a hell of a game, one of the best Red River rivalries that I've ever seen. And, uh, you know, Oklahoma State-Texas should be good, and that's also a 9 o'clock game on Fox. So that's how I figured I'd start my day. Yeah. Hey, if we had a, like, generic college sports radio show, you'd have this question asked to you about 100 times. Is Texas back? You know, I, I, I you, they're fun to watch at least, so I think that's an important element for fans. You know, they're back to being fun. Obviously, you'd rather beat Oklahoma than lose to them. Um, you know, but both teams played a hell of a game. You know, I, I would think if you're a Texas fan, you at least come away from that game going, I tell you what, Oklahoma played a pretty good game. We played a pretty good game. You know, we're getting there. And I, I think that's the thing. You know, Steve Sarkeesian inherited a program that quite honestly wasn't just wasn't very good. So, um, you know, I think the jury's still out whether he can get it done or not. But I think you're on the right track. Yeah. Um, what's your second game? Kentucky, Georgia. Okay. Uh, I would love to see that one happen. I'd love to see Kentucky get it done. Uh, if I, I recall, I'm just going off memory, I think it was a top 10 matchup. And, uh, you know, Kentucky's playing some pretty good football right now. So, you know, I wrote that one because it also fills in that 1230 slot. Uh, it's on CBS. So that was number two for me. Yeah, I have that one as well. Ding, ding, ding. Um, Georgia, number one for now. We'll see if they can hold on to it. And Kentucky, talk about you know, holding on for now, see if they can hang on. One of, one of my favorite stories to emerge in this college football season is that because Kentucky has started unbeaten through six games, they are bowl eligible before Alabama. Wow. That's insane. But, no, that's great. I mean, and that's a testament. You know, obviously, you, you got to think that uh, you got to think that as the coaching mill heats up and some of these guys are getting fired that that's uh certainly a candidate people will start paying attention to a little bit more uh third game for me was miami north carolina it's going to be a terrible game <laughs> but it's kind of going to be one of those train wrecks that you want to watch in slow motion i think so and i'll be honest there wasn't a lot of games out there so i kind of went with this one just thinking eh, i'll tune in to see which one of these teams want it less so and that's also a 12 30 game I don't have it, but I understand why you had it. Um, is is Miami still a school to watch out for in the uh, the crystal ball rumor drama saga that we've gone through the past couple of years? 
I don't think so. I really don't believe that they are. I just think that that program has so many issues, uh, you know, from a funding level, level, from a booster level, uh, you know, their facilities are getting a little bit better, but they've recruited terribly. Um, I, it's just really, it's not, it's the same thing as USA. It's not the Miami that we all remember with Sean Taylor and all those guys that were just un, unbelievable, uh, you know, so long ago. So, yeah, I, I just don't think so. I mean, I, I know folks are really worried about this LSU job potentially opening up because it looks like it's going to. Uh, they got a lot of money. I'd say that one's I don't think that one's a threat, but I'd say it's closer than Miami uh, to being a threat. So, uh, yeah, not so much for me with Miami. Okay. Um, third game for me was not Miami, North Carolina. Uh, but but just like you, I had to grab one from that 1230 window. So kind of double up on the Georgia-Kentucky game. Flip to this one when the other one's in a commercial break. I have number two Iowa hosting Purdue, 1230 on ABC. I don't know if that game's going to be close, but I don't think Iowa's worthy of being the number two team in America. I think they just kind of slotted in there with the Bama loss, and so I'm just kind of waiting for Iowa to get exposed. Maybe it happens this week. Yeah, I think you're right. I didn't have that game down, but I think you're right with what you said. I, I think Iowa's... I think Iowa's a, a bit of a fraud. I never really bought into the Penn State hype myself either. Uh, you know, I, I think, you know, I still don't buy into James Franklin being as good of a coach as everyone thinks he is, which would make him a perfect fit for USC. Um, you know, so, yeah, I just – I think Iowa's not for real as well. I think Cincinnati could beat him. You know, I think there's a lot of teams that could beat that Iowa team. Um, but, yeah, that's a good game and noteworthy. My fourth one was UCLA and UW. I'm going to guess you have that one too. That one seems like a no brainer to me just to mm -hmm. see, you know, how UCLA looks, see if UW's getting any better. And that fits the 530 window. So that was my fourth game. Yeah. 530 on Fox. You called it a no brainer. That's why I picked it. I didn't, I don't need a brain. I don't have one. So UCLA, UW, uh, Ducks play the Bruins in two weeks. You get to scout ahead. And then, of course, if the Bruins put up a whooping, you get to revel in those Husky tears. So it's kind of the perfect game for Duck fan. 5.30 on Fox. Uh, game number five for me, Arizona State, number 18 in America, and Utah, 7 p.m. on ESPN. These are the top two teams right now in the Pac-12 South standings. And that Utah team, they are so fired up right now, dealing with the death in the program and, and, and really carrying that motivation and, and, and turning that into an inspiration for a, a really passionate performance against USC last weekend. I think this is going to be the game of the week in the Pac-12. Yep, that's my final game as well. ASU-Utah, bit of a no-brainer. You know, want to see how ASU will handle the somewhat physical style of Utah and just kind of see who the team to beat in the South is. Uh, you know, those look like, well, I mean, you know, ASU, Utah, UCLA, all three of them, you know, pretty competitive and pretty close with one another. So at some point, you know, they're, somebody's going to have to start to separate. And, you know, you would assume that we'll be watching whoever that is because you'd like to believe that Oregon will play them in the conference championship. So, yeah, 7 o'clock game, night game for fun. Don't drink too much during the game, but I think I think that'll be, as far as Oregon fans are concerned, I think that's the game to watch this weekend. All right. So those are our five games. I think we differ on two of them, 
and uh, should be a lot of fun. You know, I, I don't know I don't know how close these games are going to be, but just just in my opinion, Justin, maybe you see this differently. I'm getting shades of 07. I think we're going to see games where we expect things to go one way heading into Saturday, and then it ends up completely different. Yeah, it certainly feels like it. And, that, and it feels like that for college football, really. I mean, just, you know, Alabama losing to A&M, you know, that's a big, big game changer. I, I just think, and I, I know that you, you know, meant more towards the Pac-12, but overall – we just you look around. I mean, Oregon State's good this year. You know, uh, Oklahoma. Everybody thought they were done, and here they are, five and zero or whatever. I mean, yeah. you know, at Ohio State. You know, Oregon beat them, and now they're looking like a pretty good football team. And and you know, it's just it's almost one of those years where everyone can beat everyone, and I thoroughly enjoy that. I think it's I love it. I love seeing that. You know, all these teams have a chance to win, and like it does not upset me one bit that there's. A lot of parody in college football, and I hope I hope that the, I hope that it continues all season. Yeah, I, I was 15 when that 07 season happened. I, I vividly remember uh, loving that Dennis Dixon Oregon offense and the upsets they put together and the run they went on uh, before the injuries and and their decline. But um, to me, that parody that anybody can beat anybody ethos is college football at its absolute best yeah no and i think that's what may, has made this so much I, I am i am having a blast watching all these football games on saturday I, I just think it's a lot of fun i think it's good for the sport um i think i think it'll be good because it certainly feels like a lot of the rules lately have have made this sort of one-dimensional you know for college football and the rich keep getting richer well if this brings it back down to where you know, other teams actually have a, sh- a shot at competing for playoffs and national championships year in and year out. I'm all for it because I I think that's what makes the sport great. Definitely. Um, okay. Uh, do you want to do lock of the week? It's that time. Okay. Lock of the week. <laughs> On Oregon game weeks. See how I said game weeks because we didn't do one for the bye. We predict one thing that we're so confident about, it's going to be a lock. Lock of the week. You go first, my friend. Well, you know, it might not be popular opinion, but I do think that as stubborn as Mario Cristobal might be at times, and he is, I don't debate that, he is stubborn at times, I also think that usually at some point he wisens up and, you know, gets to his senses and usually corrects problems. And he's really good about that. Um, and I think right now the biggest problem for Oregon is the lack of a passing game. And I think he, as stubborn as he might be about wanting to not address it, I think he realize, realizes it's time. So my lock of the week isn't that Ty Thompson starts. That's not the lock of the week. My lock of the week is, and I know it's not a super aggressive number, but that Oregon will will accumulate more than 250 passing yards in this game. And again, I know that's not a big number, but it's a significant increase and improvement over what we've seen basically the last five weeks. That's enough for the Ducks to open up the passing game. That's enough for, you know, maybe one or two of the receivers to have, you know, a little bigger games, you know, somewhere in that 50 yards plus uh, territory each, Um, you know, maybe get four or five, catches for something like that maybe it's Micah Pittman 
you know, perhaps it's it's Troy Franklin getting out there and playing a little more. We saw we had a Devin Williams sighting. Perhaps it's him because clearly Anthony Brown, uh, you know, wanted to target him. So, again, I'm not touting that as a record-breaking number, but I, I do I do believe this. If Oregon can throw the ball for 250 yards, they're going to at least get 200 yards running, and that's going to be plenty of offense to beat Cal. So, log of the week, 250 passing yards for this Oregon offense. I like that. Cal's opponents are out throwing them 280 yards on average. Um, you know, I also noticed Cal's opponents are are struggling a little bit on the ground, which tells me it's a game plan thing. It may not be that Cal's strength is in shutting teams down in the run game. It may be that teams are looking on film and saying, we can beat these guys through the air. So I agree with you. I think Oregon's going to try to attack that way. My lock is I think this is the week the Oregon secondary starts ripping open some turnovers. We saw the differential work against them on the farm, and and I've seen a team that ever since that Ohio State win has struggled in the weeks past to get turnovers. I think that changes. I, I think that Cal gets down and has to climb back and, and come back in the football game, and while I love – Bill Musgrave as a play caller in the NFL, um, th- there is a pretty common criticism of his work with some of his NFL teams and with all the work he's done in college that his passing game can be pretty predictable. So I think Oregon takes advantage of that. They're going to force some turnovers, and we'll have a, uh, a positive turnover differential on Friday night. And, you know, the thing is, as much as – as folks want to, you know, pick on Anthony Brown and the struggles with the offense and the passing game in particular, which are fair criticisms, you know, the Oregon secondary, to your point, has really dropped off. You know, that like in just in terms of turnovers, uh, you know, just in terms really of, of coverage overall, there there's a lot of times where it certainly looks like there's a player out of place. It certainly looks like, you know, they're potentially a few yards back farther than they need to be. They just, quite frankly, aren't playing the way they played the first two or three weeks. And so I think you make a great point. I think Cal's a great game for them to get back to those ways. And, you know, I think that this is a – I think that, quite honestly, after the quarterback and the lack of a passing game, I think this is number two on my list of things Oregon needs to correct to get back to playing at what we would call more of an elite level. I don't know that it was an elite level, but it was definitely above average. And right now they're they're – barely at average yeah 100 percent. okay he's justin hopkins from scoopduck.com my name is matt bagley uh before we go is there anything else you want to talk about heading into the cow game no uh no just for folks to you know enjoy uh if they are uh going to the game friday night it's nice that it's a, a later game so you can uh you know, you're, you're more than likely taking the, the day off or, or, or leaving work early, and you're going to get a chance to tailgate and have a little fun. Not to mention, I haven't looked at the weather report for Eugene, but the weather report for Medford looks like mid-70s and a beautiful sunny day. I'm going to assume it's something similar in Eugene. So, again, you know, not much beats a home game at Autzen Stadium in September and October, in my mind. They're some of the best days that you can have. And it looks like Friday should definitely be another awesome day to take in a game at Austin Stadium. Oh, yeah. 
Totally. No, if we get good weather Friday night, that's a game you want to go to. Um, Ducks playing Friday. Of course, this pod broke it all down. If you missed anything, go back, hit the rewind button, have some fun with this. And if you like this pod, share it with a friend. Scoop, duck, and high five. We do this every week. I want to thank you for listening, and I'll leave you with this last note. Go Ducks! I can do this now.